All right. Who's brave this morning? Who has some good hand-eye coordination and wants to play a game? Who wants to play a game? Who wants to play a game? It's Jenga. It's it's Jenga. Who wants to play some Jenga? All right, come on up. Tommy, did you want to play? Come on. Jillian, are you gonna play? Okay, Alyssa, come on. I want one adult, because it'd be funny if you lost. John, you want to play Gavin Jenga? Oh, John, 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 John. Okay. Have you guys played Jenga before? John, have you played Jenga before? Yeah, it's been a long time. Okay, okay. So here's how it basically works. You have to move a block and put it on top, but you can only touch a block with one hand at a time. Okay? So you can't, like, use two hands and grab a block. You can only use one hand at a time. You can switch hands. And you can only take a piece from the lowest completed, from below the lowest completed layer. So you can take a piece from here, but you couldn't take it from the top. And technically, the last person to successfully place a piece, piece wins. So if you take a piece and you put it on top and the next person knocks it over, technically you win. Uh, considering that it's windy and this table is kind of shaky and we're on uneven ground, I think the game will go pretty quickly. Yeah, the smoke is helping too. All right, go ahead and uh, Tommy, you can go first. So technically, I don't know how that works. Uh, why don't you go ahead and put that piece on top? Okay, Alyssa. You're next. Oh, oh. You guys got to be more careful. You're stressing me out. What are you doing? That's craziness. What? No, 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 no. Go find another piece. Okay, that was much more wise. John? Okay. I think it's back to you, Tommy. Okay, technically, you're only supposed to use one hand, but we'll let it go this time. You gotta put that piece back up, and if you knock, no, no, it has to complete that layer. Okay. This is not looking good. Okay. I like the testing. At least this time you're just you're testing. You're not just going straight for it. You can yeah, you can take from the bottom for sure. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Pro level move. John. Okay. Okay. Tommy. Hey Tommy, look at me. 
very gentle. <laughs> oh. No! I wasn't even paying attention. I thought for sure you had that. Does that mean John's the winner? Rats! I wanted John to lose. Thank you, guys. You can go ahead and take a seat. I declare John the loser. No. Good job, John. You beat me at golf and you beat the kids at Jenga. You're a top-notch winner. There's never been a church activity you lost at so far. Just wait till we have our disc golf tournament, John. So, I'm going to ask you guys a really hard question. Oh, by the way, if you want to make a s'more during the sermon, go for it. We have s'more stuff right here. That's the, we are an outdoor church. That's the beauty of the outdoor church is you can make a s'more whenever you want to. Oh, previous Sundays you couldn't, but now you can because we have a fire. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a really hard question. At what point was the tower the most stable? At the beginning, right? And what made it stable? It was, uh, had all its pieces in the right place, had a good foundation, and so it was a lot less likely to fall. It was, uh, could withstand a good amount of shaking, and it could make sure that uh, it wasn't going to fall if it got jiggled a little bit. Uh, ultimately, it did fall because of Tommy. But it only started falling when there was holes in the structure and when things started to get unbalanced and when things were moved around. So let's think about that Jenga tower kind of like our lives a little bit here. Let's take, talk about building our life on integrity. If we have a strong foundation and we don't have holes in our structure and we're supported from the ground up and we built our ri- lives in the right order on the right things, then we're able to stand on a strong foundation. We aren't going to be shaken. However, if our lives are built on weak morals and weak convictions, that's like having a really tall tower with a lot of holes in it and unbalanced pieces. It might be able to stand a little bit of force, but when something big comes through or when Tommy's hand comes through, it's going to knock you over. You're going to fall. We don't want to be like that. We want to be strong towers. We want to be able to stand up through anything. We don't want to be like the building this morning that our friends knocked over. So we're finishing up this week our series on integrity. And in this last message, we're going to look at how Integrity affects our relationships with God, our relationships with the people around us, and just our lives in general. And then lastly, we're going to look at the last few weeks of what uh, we've studied over integrity. We're going to be looking and kind of summing up that as well. So go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 15, if you have a Bible on your phone or if you brought it with you. And Psalm 15 does a really good job at incorporating a lot of what we've talked about so far in this series. And it gives us a few new avenues to explore. I 
I'm going to go ahead and uh, read Psalm 15 for us. Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? One who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on his friend. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. He does not lend his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. One who does these things will never be shaken. So I think what we can see here is that this psalm does a really good job of giving a biblical definition of integrity. It incorporates the spiritual and practical sides of godly integrity. The question at the beginning of the psalms, at this psalm, I think is important and it interests me because these rhetorical questions are supposed to draw us towards something. They're supposed to make us want something. He says, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? And what he's trying to get us to do is he wants us to want those things. He wants us to reside with God. He wants us to live in God's holy land. We want to be with God so close to him that he gives us a place next to him. That's what we're striving for. That's what we should want. So who gets to be that person? Who gets to be with God and next to God? That's what we see in verse 2. A person of integrity. And I think from there, the rest of the psalm goes on to kind of define what that person is like. Who is a person of integrity? The kind of person who's on God's side and, and dwells with him. A person who practices righteousness. A person who speaks truth in their heart. Think about that for a moment. Being a person of integrity means taking both outward action and inward action. Practice righteousness, speak truth in your heart. So it's not only doing the right things, but it's doing them from the right place. It's doing them with truth inside of you. It's not good enough for people to just think you're a good person, right? It's important to speak the true things to yourself as well. And I think that's the difference between just a good reputation and integrity. A good reputation is what someone thinks about you. It's what other people see. But integrity is really who you are. What's in your heart? Who are you when no one else is watching? I think, and I know, some of the worst things, some of the worst moral failures that we know about have been done trying to keep a good reputation. Right? So... People who commit a crime at a, a politician at a high level. They do all kinds of crimes to cover up their crime so that they can keep their good reputation. Right? So just because someone has a good reputation doesn't mean they have integrity. But if someone has integrity, they are almost certainly going to have a good reputation. And I think that's why we need to strive just not for how other people think about us, but who we really are and reflect in ourselves. Are we doing the right things even when no one else is watching, even when it doesn't benefit us? But the psalm isn't done yet. It is a gold mine of practical ways that we can practice integrity. One of the things that is on this list that stands out to me 
is it says a man of integrity, a person of integrity, takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. The NIV, I think, says it a little more clearly. He who keeps an oath, even when it hurts, and does not change their mind. So I've definitely made promises that I've broken in my life, and I've made promises that I followed through on, even though it was uncomfortable or cost me a lot. And I made them, and I didn't know exactly what I was getting into. The right thing to do is to follow through on your word to the fullest extent, even if it costs you a great deal. So this teaching on integrity echoes the words of Jesus. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Those are simple words, a simple teaching. But it's really hard to live that way. It's really hard to just say yes to something and then do it. It is really hard to just say no and not do it. To be a person of integrity means to be a person who you can rely on. Someone whose words actually mean something. So if you can be someone who's trustworthy in what they say and know that you'll be following through on it, you're well on your way to being a person of integrity. But the biggest thing that I wanted to look at in this psalm is the very last verse, which sums up what happens if you live this way. If you're a person that God desires says at the very end one who does these things will not be shaken will never be shaken it doesn't say you know will most likely not be shaken it doesn't say shaken less than most people it doesn't say only shaken if things get really bad or only shaken a little bit it says never be shaken those are bold words that's a big claim but I think it's true. Just, just think about it. If you live with integrity based on God's principles and with the backing of his power, you're going to build a life that is so strong that nothing can knock it over. It is going to be way more stable than even a Jenga tower that is super glued together. All right? If you have a life built on integrity, built on God's principles, you are not going to be able to be shaken. The reason you're not going to be able to be shaken is because that kind of life isn't built on yourself. If we look to ourselves and our power and our ideas, we will be shaken. We will fail. But if we build our lives on something bigger than us, perhaps something like God, we will not be shaken. God is the one who laid the foundations of the earth. He's the one who created the ground that we're standing on right now. We think this is strong and stable. God is even more strong and more stable. If we build our lives on God's ways, we will be unmovable. Which, when that is borne out to its logical conclusion, logical conclusion means that we get to live in freedom. If we are walking in the right directions, we know we're walking in the truth, we know we're walking with God, that means that we're actually going to be able to live a life free, true freedom. Think about it this way. If you always drive the speed limit, if you always make sure your license plate and tags are up to date and clean, if you make sure that you're not using a device when you're driving down the road and that your blinkers and brake lights and headlights are functioning properly and you always check that everything is working right before you go, 
if you pass a cop on the highway, you're not nervous, right? If you're driving at the speed limit, everything's right. I know Joe has liked to race in the past before. But if you're driving the speed limit, you're not nervous if you pass a cop. Why? Because you know you're not doing anything wrong. You're walking in the right way. That is freedom. Knowing that you're not going to be misstepping, that you're not going to be doing something that is wrong. But even if you do get persecuted, or even if you do, do get accused of something, and you find yourself in a difficult spot, living with integrity is still the best way to go. And you still have nothing to worry about, because what really matters is that you're doing right in God's eyes. Because at the very end of this age, when everything is said and done, there's nothing that people can do to you that God can't undo. God will completely justify us. He will bring us back from the dead and place us in eternal life in a restored earth. That is pretty unshakable sounding to me. That sounds like it's going to be amazing and unshakable and unmovable. So that's what living with integrity produces in our lives. It makes us unshakable. And that's how it affects our relationship with God. It puts us in right standing with him and makes us walk with him. But I want to spend a few moments also looking at how does walking in integrity affect our relationships with the people around us? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And there's just a short passage here we're going to read. Verses 8 through 17. And it's just a few verses that I think do a really good job of showing how living with integrity makes a big impact on the people around us. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you will inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life, to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers. This definitely sounds like someone who's living in integrity. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be in dread. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That means make him holy. Make him the priority. Always being ready to make a defense for every, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better that God should will it that you suffer for, what is doing, for doing what is right than rather for doing what is wrong. So if you're going to suffer... Suffer for what God honors. Suffer for what is right. And if you do what is right, when people do bring things against you, it will be to their shame because you're unshakable. 
There will be nothing to hold against you. There will be no leverage that they can use because you've walked in what is right. And when people notice the extraordinary discipline and goodness and love and grace and kindness you show, it will be the perfect opportunity to not glorify yourself, but to point to your creator, to give God the glory for the life that you're living, to tell people it is God's word and love that inspires you to live the life that you're living. It is the power of Christ working in you. You can tell people about that. It turns out that living a life of integrity is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools we have. Even those who hated Jesus couldn't find a way to tear down his integrity. And his reputation was incredible because of his integrity. How can you tear down a man who is kind and truthful and helps others and stays humble while doing it? Of course, we do know there were people who did slander our Lord. But in the end, it took a kangaroo court in the middle of the night to actually convict him of anything. And when they brought him before Pilate to be judged, Pilate found him innocent. He said, I, I can't see why you guys want to persecute this guy. He seems perfectly fine to me. It's because Jesus lived a life with integrity and he lived in obedience to God. Jesus was unshakable and we can be unshakable too. Our lives can be testimonies to God. But our lives can also be a bruise on the church. So if you're not in the right place, either publicly or privately, if you're not following what God wants you to do, it's not too late to change that. If there's something in your life that isn't lining up with what God wants, it's not too late to change that. Because if you do turn back to God, it's going to end up glorifying him. It's going to be an example of redemption and forgiveness and transformation. It's going to be an amazing part of your life testimony. Because we're all sinners. We've all messed up. And we're all being changed by God's power. So to finish up this morning, I just want to walk through some of the major points we've looked at over the last four weeks. And just kind of help cement them in our minds. The first week we looked at Daniel. And we learned that we have to draw lines. Trying to live about integrity, a life of integrity. We have to draw lines. Drawing lines means that we live at peace where we can. We are flexible where we can be. But we also take a stand when we know that things are right. Daniel was a great example of this. He learned the language of his captors. He studied their laws. He lived in their houses. He obeyed their leadership. He worked for them until they asked him to do something that came directly against God's laws. That's where he drew the line in the sand. And through the book of Daniel, him and his friends over and over again draw the lines at pivotal points where God's desires were confronted by what everybody else wanted them to do. Secondly, we learned uh, in our second week that God sees sin and that he hates it. So if we're trying to live a life of integrity, doing what is wrong does not line up with that. We looked at the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Achan thought he could get away with stealing things from the designated stuff in Jericho. No one else would see him. But as a result of his sin, 36 men died in battle 
that should have been easily won, and ultimately his entire family was killed. We have to reconcile with that fact that there's a little bit of Achan living inside all of us. There's a little bit of that wrong that keeps trying to break through. And our fight for integrity is a fight against that wrong. It's a fight against sin. And we have to realize that one day we're going to be held accountable for what we do. Even if no one else sees it, God does. In our third week, last week, we learned that integrity is a war on two fronts. That integrity is built by pursuing God and by fighting evil. We looked at Proverbs 4 and how Solomon warns us to guard our hearts because out of our hearts flow the springs of life. So if we want to build integrity, it means filling ourselves with godly things and filtering out the wrong things. It's a simple idea, but it's very difficult to execute. So we have to keep in mind that as we're trying to live a life of integrity, it is fought on two different fronts. And today we learned that if we are successful, if we take living and in, in integrity seriously, we will be unshakable. Those who walk in integrity, those who walk with God, have a place with Him. And when we walk with God, when we speak truth, when we treat people well, when we're obedient to God's commands, we will be unshakable. But not only that, our lives become living testimonies to the great God that we serve. So the message of integrity, I think, is simple. I think we all understand it. Probably from the first sentences of the first week, four weeks ago, we understand the idea of integrity. But practicing integrity is way more difficult than understanding it. In the words of the Bible, is the information that we need to live with integrity. But actually practicing it is on us. So we have to learn what the Bible says. We have to learn what God wants from us. And then we actually have to put it into practice so that we can be upstanding kingdoms of the citizen, uh, citizens of the kingdom, so that we can properly reflect what God wants us to do. It's a gift. It really is a gift to be able to stand on truth and to not be shaken. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity for us to be here, enjoying this beautiful morning, enjoying fellowship with our brothers and sisters. I just pray that you bless this community, that you bless North Kent, allow us to serve you and to stand in integrity. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.